Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And uh, today we have an interview for you from our trip to Oahu. Yes, the second in our series of releases of these interviews. And this one was a big one for us because we've never interviewed a politician at that point. Not, not, a, not a state senator, certainly. Yes. So this is an interview with... Senator Donovan M. De La Cruz, who is a Democratic member of the Hawaii State Senate, um, District 22 is what he represents. And I know we told the story in one of the episodes in our Welcome to Oahu miniseries, mm-hmm. but he was, first off, wonderful to talk to. Oh, yeah, just a, just an absolute delight um, and and so knowledgeable and friendly. And secondly, he met us at a grocery store on a weekend to do this. Yeah. We'd been trying and trying to find a time to get together with him. We really wanted to get his perspective on on the food scene out there and and the the agriculture of Oahu. And it hadn't been working out. And we just finished up our interview with Denise and Roy Yamaguchi over in the complete madness of this poke battle Yes. In a grocery store mm-hmm. on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And Denise called him and was just like, look, these people are awesome and you're awesome and you need to be awesome together. Yes. And lo and behold, <laughs> he showed up in the supermarket. Yes. Like in khaki shorts mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Casual wear. Um, 
And yeah, it, it was really great talking to him and hearing some of the the issues that he works on because he he is pretty involved in food and because in Hawaii tourism is such a big thing there. Yeah. And having kind of that perspective of well how can we leverage food and tourism but also be uh, sustainable. Right, absolutely. Right. Yeah. How can we how can we work harder to, to support our own community and to feed our own community ourselves? Right. And um, as we record this right now, there's all this concern about COVID nineteen and coronavirus. And one of the first things that came up when I was looking at, at what has he been up to lately um, is that Hawaii is anticipated to take three hundred million dollar loss with loss of tourism. Yeah. And Senator De La Cruz was asked about it, and he said, our issue is that we haven't really diversified our economy and we're too reliant on tourism. Wow. So, yeah, this is definitely something he is working on and um, really relevant right now. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, we will let former Annie and Lauren and the senator take it away. So I'm Donovan De La Cruz. Aloha. I'm in the state Senate. I've been in the state Senate since 2010. And I represent Central Oahu, which is Wahewa, uh, Milani Malka. And it, it's uh, where, all, where Dole first started. So when I grew up, there were 7,000 acres of pineapple land in Central Oahu. What was it like growing up with, with that weird culture? No, so it was it was the norm for us. I mean, we saw pine. My grandparents came from the Philippines to pick uh, pineapple. My dad worked in the fields during the summer when he was growing up. So it's um, it's difficult to see that Hawaii hasn't really transitioned into a uh, a much larger diversified agricultural society from pineapple and sugar. And so I mean, I think there's potential. There's some land that has been lost because of development. Um, But it's not that easy just taking pineapple land and turning it into diversified ag because pineapple requires a different kind of infrastructure. What are some of the projects and initiatives that uh, you do a lot of work in environmental and uh, agricultural uh, policy? What are some of the projects you're working on right now? So um, ever since I got to the Senate and before I was in the Senate, I was on the Honolulu City Council. So when I was on the council, the city dedicated funds to purchase some ag land in partnership with the state and the army. So we bought about uh, 1,700 acres of ag land that was once Del Monte land, the Monte pineapple, which was right next to the Dole land. And we actually finalized that purchase in 2012, even though we budgeted for it in 2008. So it took four years. And since then, um, I've added more and more money to the budget. And so now we're at about 41, 4,200 acres of pineapple land now in the state's ownership. So what that does for us is now we can provide long-term leases to farmers. Because any private landowner, they won't normally hold up land with a long-term lease. It'll probably be 10, 15 years max, usually usually five years or one year. And the farmer can't go to the bank with that kind of lease. So with the state purchasing that land, providing long-term leases, now they can actually 
have a, a business plan, they can go to a bank, they can get some investment. And the state also offers rent credit. So an invest, whatever you invest into the land for agriculture can actually be credited against your lease rent. But we can, the state's by law can go up to 65 years long-term lease. So that helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is that a um, normal amount of time or is that because Hawaii is so, uh, Oahu in particular is so small and so expensive? Well, land in Hawaii is really expensive. But 65 years actually allows a couple of generations to farm a piece of property. Yeah. So, you know, we don't see too many young people wanting to stay in ag. And I'm, you know, with a with a long lease, hopefully that can inspire some people to to stay within the family business of agriculture. These are really big and complex issues. How do you um how do you work with the community to figure out what will help? Well, everybody wants something um, that they can see immediately. That's difficult. It's, you know, because it takes a while to get money into the budget to buy land, and it takes a while to per- to actually go through the process of releasing the money, spending it, buy- purchasing it. But we also have to put in money for water infrastructure. So once we just we have the land, that doesn't mean they can farm it right away. So we got because pineapple didn't need water; it was a bromeliad. Rain handled it. And so now when you do diversified ag, you have to put money in for water infrastructure. So we're looking at a variety of, of solutions. One solution is actually recycling water that is, is in a nearby lake. And we also bought commercial property so that farmers can process pack uh, where there's already electricity, water, sewer, and hopefully we can create a critical mass and a clustering of ag uh, companies there. And then the other thing we're producing is a value-added uh, manufacturing training facility. You know, so we, hopefully we can get people interested in becoming entrepreneurs to make more juices, cosmetic products, spirits, uh, candies, cookies, and that can help create a demand for growing certain products as well. Is it difficult getting your fellow lawmakers on board with these kind of policies? Well, everybody has a different um, focus. You know, some people will focus on human services or homeless. Some people will focus on education. Um, I think generally people support ag, but with limited funds, it's competing with all these other pressing needs. So all this land that we've been trying to purchase is in my district. So I've been trying to build that inventory up. Hopefully we can get up to 6,000 acres. The other thing we've been trying to do is do a land swap. Well, we proposed a land swap where the state would take private land for in agriculture and trade that for land that the state owns along the rail line. So let the private guys develop around the rail line. We, they, they can have that land and we take, we take all the agriculture and conservation land. That was an idea that we've been throwing around the legislature. How did how did you decide to make this your focus? Well, my I mean I think I, I tell people I have pineapple juice in my blood because I grew up around all the pineapple fields. My grandparents, my parents, and then my great grandparents came from Puerto Rico and they worked in the sugar fields. So agriculture has been in my family for five generations. I mean, my great grandparents came in 1901 to Hawaii. Can I ask what kind of foods you ate growing up? Oh, I did eat pineapple. I mean, to the point where I didn't. I stopped eating it a little bit because it was so acidic. Yeah. Now it's not. Now I can drink it and eat it. I mean, you know, Frankie's pineapple here is really sweet. So pineapple has evolved a little bit. Um, I mean, we would eat a lot more avocado than I did. You know, people would trade. We'd see lychee. We'd see oranges. Uh, Mountain apple here is different in Hawaii. But people would trade a lot. 
people would have a lot of fruit trees in their yards. I guess now because you have certain kinds of development, people don't have room for fruit trees. And I don't know if people want to take care of them either. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> and so hopefully that culture changes. Is there a dish that tastes like home to you? My, well, I, I ate a lot of Puerto Rican food when I was growing up because my grandmother would make Puerto Rican food. So I always like pateles and venturi rice. And I, last, last night I ate a lao lao plate at Zippy's. <laughs> you know, and I think every local person, if you're local, you love mac salad. And Hawaii fried rice, I think, is very different than any other area's fried rice. Because we just throw a lot of different things in there. So I'd rather, have, I'd rather eat fried rice than white rice. It's a lot more interesting and tastes good. We have some more of our interview. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. If your business needs a new application... 
then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into the interview. But about 20 years ago, when I was, right before I got into city council, I actually wrote these guidebooks to hole-in-the-wall restaurants. And so it talked about uh, these unique delicatessens that were could only be found in Hawaii. And those slowly disappeared, so you only have a few left. It was called Because uh, You Hungry. This is 20 years ago. But um, So the delicatessen would be a buffet line of different types of noodles, different types of meats, different types of fish, and prepared differently. And what was unique about it is it would be all different based on different ethnic groups. So you would see Filipino-style cooking, Chinese-style cooking, Japanese-style cooking, and those were all the different ethnic groups that came to Hawaii to work in the sugar and pineapple. And you would just pick and choose, oh, I want that musubi, I want that corned beef hash, I want this sausage, I want that. That that would be our bento box. And so growing up, we would always want to go to the Okazuya to go get a bento box for our field trips. I mean, that was like a special treat. That sounds so good. How else have you seen the the, the food community develop and evolve? Um, I mean, since you were growing up, but also since you have been involved in the government. Well, there's been a lot of changes. I mean, with food safety, with financing, with water infrastructure. And now you see a lot more greenhouse production. You see production within buildings, not even greenhouse, within buildings. And so ag is changing too. So you really have to focus a lot. And for, for curriculum-wise, where for our students, they got to understand how to work the greenhouse, how to program the greenhouse, how to manage it. And they got to figure out a business plan of what, what crop they're going to specialize in. So it's not, I think it's evolved so much. Especially now with Hawaii brand, you can export quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, is it cool? Is it is it a good... Um influx of, of money into the system? Well, if you look, if you have a good value-added product that is good quality, good brand, uh, you can you can make a niche for yourself. I mean, we've seen ice cream sandwich shops that's locally made on the North Shore or this one shop called Uber Factory that make these little ube cookies and they sell out. I mean, they sell out and they, they're, they're very interesting. They don't want to grow too big because they don't want to make the product too generic. They want to keep it unique and yet they, they make enough money where they can buy a house, they can travel, you know, they're not a struggling farmer. So we got to figure out how to get farmers to become more revenue generating and that can be assisted with more value added products. Are you involved with the uh, Food and Wine Festival? Yeah, I mean, the state supports it. And, you know, one of the things that I really like about what Denise has been doing is she tries to take an emerging crop so that we can, like, I'll give you an example of breadfruit or kalamungai. And they'll give it to all the participating chefs to come up with recipes so that the local palate 
becomes more familiar with it so we can start to scale up these crops. I mean, I know oftentimes Alan Wong will use goat and every, all these different festivals to get people interested and, and change their perception. Tilapia was used, you know, sunfish, so that we can figure out really how can we grow more locally, have that palate for it so that we don't have to import. I have two questions related to that. The first is Denise was telling me that you're trying to grow, is it mamakai tea? Mamaki, mamaki tea, yeah. Yes, and she said it, that I should ask you about this experience. <laughs> so we have, we have about 50 trees in my yard now. And so we've been processing mamaki. We've been growing it, cutting it, processing it, and we've actually started wholesaling it. So it's a lot of work. I mean, it took a long time to figure out a system so that you can be efficient. We're probably not making money yet, but we got to figure it out so that we can actually have a sustainable business. But it, it's, it's local, it's unique to Hawaii, it's very healthy for you, and it's, the demand is growing. And the other thing I'm trying to grow is vanilla. It finally started to flower after a couple years. And Congratulations. It, <laughs> so the, the flower only lasts a couple hours. So you need to self-pollinate that. And at first, I think I was doing it wrong because it's not that easy to figure out. Uh, but then a neighbor who also has vanilla taught me how to do it and it's been working. So now the flowers have been dying on the vine because if, if it dies and it falls off, that means it didn't pollinate. But if it dies on the vine, that means it pollinated. So you'll see the dead flower start to turn into a bead. It'll turn black. That's amazing. <laughs> Could you tell us more, more about the tea? What's the like flavor profile of it? Like, it's, light, it's healthy. It does taste a little, I mean, to some people, a little earthy. But it's very medicinal. I mean, for a lot of local people, I mean, they, they find medicinal values. And it helps with blood pressure. For some people, it helps clean you out. Uh, but it's relaxing. It doesn't have caffeine. So for people who have like high blood pressure, they don't need any more caffeine. They don't want to get excited. I mean, it's a good tea. It's relaxing. So, and you can mix it with other things. Sometimes I mix it with lavender when I make it. But it's hard to process because it's such a fine leaf once it's dried. It can turn into powder if you if you process it too fast. And then the powder is not good for tea bags. It'll it'll end up clogging the tea bag. So we have to we found that's part of our process. And so we had, now I had to go buy a sifting machine. So we're processing the tea. We have the tea. Now we're going putting the tea in a sifting machine so we can take out the powder. And now I'm trying to figure out another product that we can make with the powder. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> Why, why did you decide to start uh, to start growing it? Well, I wanted to be an example. I've been telling people for nine years, hey, we need to start these things. And very few people have made a go of it. A lot of people have you know, talked about it. So I figured, you know what, I'm just going to do it and see if it, make it work. Lead by example. Yeah, so it's called Kilani Brew because it's a little street. There's a street on, on in Wahewa where I live named Kilani Avenue. So I just named it Kilani Brew. And Kilani in Hawaii means heavenly tea. So it's Kilani Brew Mamaki Tea. So we need more. So we're planning on um, negotiating a larger lease with a, for about an acre so we can grow more tea. So I'll give you some next time you come. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> some of the things, I feel like you've touched on some of this already, but uh, what do you find are some of the unique challenges and benefits of being on an island when it comes to 
food law and policy and what you do? So we should be able to uh, replace a lot more imports. There's no doubt. But we just have to scale things up and we have to match the demand for with production. And so if we, even just our own schools, hospitals, local, that the state owns, prisons, uh, airports, if the state made a commitment to say we're only going to buy local, then local farmers know that they'll have a consistent customer, which will help them plan and which, which will help other people say, well, I'm, I'll go in that business now because it's more predictable. So we got to figure out a way to make agriculture more predictable with all these different systems. And then that, that base, once it's revenue generating, helps us to go into other things and take more risks. But Hawaii, besides that, Hawaii has such a strong brand that we could do a lot more value added. You know, and we, we get in 10 million visitors a year. So a lot of it doesn't even have to be shipped. 10 million people coming through a year, we could sell a lot of value-added products. Are you are you working on any projects to that end? Denise said you have a lot of things going on. We're working with the university, like I mentioned, to do a value-added manufacturing processing facility. A couple of us went to New Zealand. We saw they had those food little pilot areas where you could go in with a recipe and they'll help you figure out your value-added product with your business plan. So we're trying to create a curriculum, and I know uh, Denise is as well. They're working with the high schools to come up with classes on value. how do you come up with concepts for value-added products, developing it and become and actually um, coming up with a business plan. And we, we have good examples now. I mean, Big Island Candies, I don't know if you've been there, but they export quite a bit. And they're well-known. They're here in the mall, so if you have time, you can go, go look at it. Big Island Candies. Well, we could do more. I mean, I think there's so many niches that we could find. And it's a, good, it's a great climate to grow things. Yeah, there's so much here. But I, I knew there was a lot of um, products, things that I wouldn't find necessarily grown where I am from, the South. But there's, like, a lot more <laughs> than I anticipated. There's so much you can go see. Like, I, the lavender thing blew my mind. Like... I've never even considered where lavender comes from. Yeah. Well, we, we can do other things. We can do vanilla. We could do um, chamomile. You know, our, our, our climate is such that we can grow a lot of different things because we have so many different microclimates. We just need more entrepreneurs to kind of take those ideas and make a go of it. And then if the state can figure out a way how we can provide incentives so we can allow some predictability and allow people to take risk in some of those investments, then that's something that we should consider and how we can help. It provides jobs, you know, increases our, our diversity, our product, and hopefully it enhances the visitor experience too. Yeah, as you said, so there's 10 million people come through, tourists? 10 million a year. Wow. So... Oh, we're 1.4 million people. And I would say, and from some of the people we've talked to, it sounds like Hawaii is becoming more of a food and drink destination where it hadn't necessarily been that before. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, especially with the rise of Hawaii Regional Cuisine about 20 years ago. Um, and the Visitor Bureau really, they used to do all kinds of promotions, sending chefs around the world. I think social media has changed that a lot too because then people can access it and see it a lot more. And there's a lot more competition. I mean, now we have the, the uh, Culinary Institute kind of creating pathways for, for aspiring chefs. And you can see even a grocery store, you can see just this grocery store. It's not the same kind of grocery store we grew up in. I mean, it's like part restaurant, 
part, you know, this food contest in the restaurant. Who would have thought that, right? No, never. So it really has evolved a lot. It's more participatory. There is a little bit more of this interview left, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the interview. 
Is there anything in particular you're excited about in the future? Any projects for yourself or Hawaii at large that you're... Well, I mean, if we can create more entrepreneurs so that we can get more local people to stay and not move away and more people to make a living wage, then they can stay in Hawaii and have a good quality of life. But we, it all, it's all part of systems that we got to uh, build, uh, coordinate, and support. But it'll, it'll take one step at a time. Has Hawaii always been home? Like, did you always know that you were going to... I mean, we have this word in in Hawaii. It's a Hawaiian word called kuleana. And if anybody... I mean, I'm sure a lot of people talk to you about aloha and maybe ho'oponopono. But, I mean, one of my favorite Hawaiian words is actually kuleana. And that's, what's your obligation? What's your responsibility? What's your commitment to... Uh, either your family, to your community, to your neighbors. And I feel like that's my, my kuleana is to turn my community into a, a better place for the future uh, so that people can have a better quality of life. Not just young people, but people aging in place too. You know, because food is evolving so much where with a, with a large geriatric population, even food has to kind of change a little bit to match that. And Hawaii has a, has a high... A percentage of, of an aging population, so does Japan, so does the U.S. So we're like a good gateway for that kind of innovation. You know, we just have to own that space. I mean, there's so many opportunities with energy, food, aging. We just have to be a lot more aggressive in, in these ideas of how we're going to become globally competitive or relevant. Well, hopefully you guys take some time to go to a lot of hole-in-the-wall restaurants. So, I mean, if you ever, if you need some ideas, but um, there's some restaurants that I know, uh, I forgot the name off the top of my head, but it's in my second book, The Puka Guide. So what happened with that was, after we did the Kazu Guide, we were at Baldins, which no longer exists. And we were at, we were, no, we were book signing. And people would say, well, what's your next book? And so we we're like, oh, what's our next book? So we came up with the Puka Guide, which means, Puka in Hawaiian means hole. So hole in the wall restaurants. They didn't mean. And then the last book was called the Omiyage Guide. So that's gifts, like with cookies, candies, manapua. So it's all these little things that make Hawaii unique. It's the small restaurants, the small family restaurants around the corner. That's that you can't find any place else. So if you, that's the kind of thing I hope you guys can take a little tour on and find find more of those. That brings us to the end of this, our second full interview released from our trip to Hawaii. I love how at the very end, that's when we found out he has, we knew he had a, a book like of hole in the walls. Yeah. Like he was our people. <laughs> he was yes. our people. Oh. And we kept running into that in so many people we, we talked to while we were in Oahu of just this eagerness to share all of the places that they love yeah. and all the food and drinks that they love and the fact that he had a hole that yes. used to be his thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll give it to you. You got to make sure. <laughs> he's like, hold on. How much longer are you here? Okay, hold on. Yes. <laughs> yes. We can do this. We can make this happen. And as a busy senator, I just appreciate so yeah. much. He was like, no, I, wa- I really want you to go check out some oh, of these gosh. places. And just, yeah, and all of the time that he took out of his day to come yeah. and speak with us. Um, so thank you so much to him again. And and again to the Yamaguchis for, um, for getting us in touch. Yes, yes. And the wonderful poke bowl. Oh. <laughs> poke madness. <laughs> oh, so wonderful and so madness. <laughs> mm-hmm. We loved it. 
Um, if you would like to email us, we would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com.